Hi, everyone. This is Jason Averbrook. Thank you so much for joining the Now of Work podcast. So, so excited of all of the different reviews, comments, questions, things that we've gotten in response to the Now of Work podcast. So glad you're listening to it and so glad it's helpful to so many around the world. Really, really excited about today's episode. Have the CEO of Unit 4, Mike Etling, joining me. And Mike has been a long friend, longtime friend, um, been at Northgate Lorenzo, been at Success Factors, uh, now at Unit 4, as well as an advisor to many organizations out there. And Mike and I have a great conversation about the world we live in today, in this now of work. We talk a lot about, you know, pre-COVID, COVID, and post-COVID. We talk a lot about how the easy part, the lockdown during COVID, you know, is almost over. But the hard part is just beginning. The hard part of opening up and not opening up in one consistent manner, but opening up in a sporadic manner as we're doing around the world is really changing the way we think. You know, productivity is up from working from home in most for most organizations. And it's really important to think about one of the things that Mike talks about is do we have hangout buildings that people go to once in a while, but most of their work is from home. Something really, really interesting to think about. We also talk a lot about empathy. What does empathy mean and the connection of empathy? Another thing that's so important that Mike said is that, and we had this great conversation about playing offensive and defensively at the same time. Offensively and defensively at the same time. That's really, really hard. It's very fine to find people that are good at that. And we have a great, great conversation about that. As well as just think about building roadmaps and all of the roadmaps that they've built as vendors as a vendor, excuse me, have to change. They have to change, they're changing really to meet the needs of organizations. I love Mike's point about building for people versus building for machines. So instead of the manufacturing economy, the knowledge economy, and how do I build ERP systems for people with people at the center. I hope you enjoy this uh, podcast. I hope you enjoy the listen. Mike is a brilliant individual. Connect with him on LinkedIn. He shares a lot of great stuff. Enjoy the podcast. Please leave your review. Have a great one, everyone. See ya. Hey, Mike, how are you? I'm great. Good to see you, Jason. You too. Thank you and for coming on to the Now of Work podcast. Fascinating times we live in. We've been through um, you know, a few journeys together of different companies on, on both of our parts. So exciting to uh, come together in this, uh, in this moment. Yeah. We, I, I guess we must admit to the audience we're cheating a little bit because we're podcasting while looking at each other on Zoom. Yes, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> There's a little bit of, yeah, a little cheating there. So, hey, um, a lot of people know Mike Etwin in the HR space because of your background, um, and some people don't. So really quickly, would you mind sharing a little about your background? And then really, what's, you know, as CEO of Unit 4, what's Unit 4 about? And, uh, you know, really, what are your goals and your focuses? And what do you see making Unit 4 special going forward? Yeah, so how do I do my background in, in two minutes? Um, started life as a CPA. Um, strayed off into IT and technology, um, still have my copies of McCracken's Kobo and McCracken's Fortran on my desk. Um, and then I like to say became a CPA who discovered a personality and strayed into HCM um, as CEO of Northgate Arenzo. Um, 
learned the hard way that the payroll business is unforgiving. You're only as good as the last bad paycheck you got or the bad the, the check you got wrong. Um, and then was fortunate to lead one of the biggest HDM companies out there, um, Success Factors. Um, and then when I left Success Factors, I really wanted to stay in the HEM space, but also wanted to broaden it a little bit. And Unit 4 was really interesting for me because Unit 4 focuses on ERP, so combined finance, uh, HR, um, resource management for people-based businesses. So professional services, accountants, construction, doctors, not-for-profits, those type of companies. And the slogan actually attracted me to the business. It said, Unit 4, in business for people. Mm. Um, and it, but they hadn't done a really good job of kind of positioning that and what was all that about. And the more I dug into this space, the more I realized that when you think about the ERP space and for HCM people, that's, that's kind of the boring grandfather's system. You all went and bought the new cloud systems to get away from. Yeah. People in HR remember that. And, we won't mention, you know, whether the grandfather came from Redwood City or Germany, but nonetheless, <laughs> or Pleasanton, or Pleasanton, don't forget. Yes. Yeah, but when you th when you look at ERP, ERP largely originated in manufacturing. Most ERP systems, I would say, eighty percent of them out there, whether it's from small mid market or SME or bigger, started with manufacturing. There's only a few ERP platforms which started with a people-based business as the heart of what, what you're building. And you build the system very, very differently when you're building for people-based system where your resources people versus the other. And, you know, you can count those ERP vendors on a hand, single hand, who have built for people. So when I looked at that and I looked at, uh, and we play very much in the mid-market, sort of 1,000 to 20,000 employees, um, when I looked at that, I was like, yeah, that's a really interesting space and it's a really interesting crossover. And, and I have this fundamental belief that you can't just fix employee experience by surrounding old grandfather ERP with lots of West Coast HCM technology because people spend a lot of their day, particularly in people-based businesses, in the ERP. Right. You know, if you're a consultant, you've got to establish a project, you've got to resource it, you've got to look at billability and performance and all that stuff. And it's all intertwined. So if you really want to change employee experience, you've got to fix the ERP, particularly if you're a people-based business. And, you know, drum roll, enter unit four. That's where we play. Yeah, no, that's a great story. And, you know, the, the other thing is that there's not many that play in that space still, right? I mean, you know, no. you know I, maybe there's works being built as we speak, but it seems like that's still, I mean, it seems like a wide open space and it seems like a uh, underserved space. It's very fragmented in the mid-market. Um, you know, we are the largest player in that space in the mid-market. Most of our competitors are much smaller boutiques doing it in a particular vertical. Um, so you're absolutely right. It's a really or interesting large, opportunity. Or, or correct me if I'm wrong, but there's the larger ones who kind of pretend to be that as well, yeah, right? There's so larger on. ones who do it. And, you know, I'd say one of the larger ones is actually really people-based in their, in their platform, but they focus very much on enterprise. Okay. You know, 20,000 employees upwards. Okay. Okay. Awesome. That's helpful.
So like for me, I think that's really, really uh, important. And one of the things that, that I've heard you say multiple times is you've used the acronym ERP. Um, yeah. You know, and there's a lot of people that kind of, I would say, thought that the ERP world was over, um, you know, but you're using it a lot. So I'd love to just hear kind of your thoughts on, you know, is ERP alive and well, or is this ERP 2.0? That's a terrible way to say it, but you know what I'm yeah. saying. Uh, yeah, look, I think ERP is alive and well. <clears throat> and, you know, I think if you think about businesses, you've got a front office, middle office, and back office. And most companies want to solve the uh, the uniqueness to the vertical industry is always in the middle office. And good ERP know, can cater for that. And, you know, we're certainly seeing this trend now to verticalization of ERP. But we actually we actually try to redefine ERP. So, you know, most people will know it as enterprise resource planning, <clears throat> which, guess what, comes from a very manufacturing-centric, product-centric world where in most ERPs, 80% of the ERP providers originated. Our ERP originates in people-centric businesses, so no widgets. People are your asset. So we've now, we now use this expression, ERP stands for Experience Real Purpose. So if you can drive the right people experience in the organization with the right technology, you can really get your people to experience real purpose in what they're doing. Okay. And that's what a good ERP is about. So, you know, yes, we are ERP, but we, we believe there's a fundamental difference to how you build an ERP system when you're building it for people-based business versus building it for manufacturing. Um, and it's just in how you think about units of resource, how you think about the interaction between people and finance. Um, it's fundamentally different because you're yeah. not thinking of a widget or a bill of materials or that type of thing. And engagement, you know, the quality of that resource is driven by engagement. So how you do engagement integrated into finance metrics is, re is you know, unique things about people-based ERP. So when you think about the you know kind of the what we're talking about here which is the now of work and you know i've been saying hey you know we were talking about the future of work and bang now all of a sudden we're in it um you know when you were just talking about when you just described erp the way you did somehow and don't take this the wrong way somehow i got excited about erp for the first time in probably 10 years um the way that you just described it um so when you think about that and you think about the world that we're living in now, COVID, um, and, and what's gonna, what it might look like afterwards, you know, what, what do you see as the things that are people-centric that organizations are going to have to think? I'm going to say different, but also I'm not going to even say, I'll say different, but also have to focus on that in the past may have just been, hey, let's count our people and make sure we can do a headcount report. Yeah. Well, I, I think it's going to be, I think, you know, your, your comment earlier about it's like the now of work, it's yeah, it's now. I think we are going to see very fundamental change in how this all pans out. Now, you know, if you think about it, people used to go to offices in the many early days because that's how you could manage and control the people and manage their time and put them into big buildings. Um, you know, it's a bit like the tradition of shaking hands. You shook hands to show that you never had a weapon in your hand. Yet we've, we've kept that tradition 
for for many many years um sort of thing <clears throat> mike yeah, don't laugh difficult. at me but i didn't know that's why you shook hands is that <laughs> just say that to show that you didn't have a weapon i didn't i've yeah. never even heard that before you know so but we, you know that's not the case today yet we right. still shake hands but i think it's going to change you know medical people are saying it would be great if we can get rid of that silly tradition of shaking hands because people will transmit less flu and all the rest of it. <laughs> but I think what's going to happen in work from my perspective, if, um, you know, as we, and, and what I think is becoming really hitting this home for us is I think the easy part of the COVID situation was what's gone, what's passed was the lockdown because it was binary. And for HR leaders, it was just, yep, yeah, binary. You can't go to work, go home. And then everyone's focused around how do you create work around being at home. I think the hardest part of this thing is, is coming and it's happening now. And that's the return to work. And the return to work is going to be extremely complex because you've got different countries, different states, different regions, all with different timetables, processes, legislation, etc. So you've got to, you know, I came from the payroll world, as you know. You think pay, you think payroll tax legislation is bad? This thing's going to be even a bigger monster yeah. to kind of get your head around. So I think that's an interesting challenge. But then the biggest problem is we, because we're sitting and looking at this and saying, how do we plan for the return to work? So how do we define that now? Because we say we started out saying, look, you can't just let every country in place kind of flop in, you know, kind of people are suddenly out the doors and, hey, now we get back at work. What happens? We need to have a unit four way of work, you know, a unit four now of work, which as countries come out, you can let people go into. And then we start looking at the amount of variables and I actually don't think the average human being can cope with the amount of variables the problem has yeah. sort of thing. So now we're almost toying with the idea of maybe the return to work policy is you, you, it's a work from home environment. We are work from home company and we have these hangout buildings where, you know, highly secure nice and safe, all the rest, all the, the health and safety boxes ticked where, you know, if your surname's A, you can go hang out there on a Tuesday. If your surname B, you can go hang out there on a Wednesday sort of thing. And, and you can have interactions and meetings and perhaps bring clients in. But actually, we are a work from home company because that's going to be easier to define and get people's heads around because, yeah, you know, Florida might be going back to work and we've got people saying, you know, I live with vulnerable people. I'm not going back to work till there's a vaccination yeah. you know, sort of thing. So I think that's going to be the biggest challenge. And, you know, it, it was almost like a light bulb moment when we were talking about it the other day where we were saying, and we just would talk, everyone was like throwing in, but there's this, but there's that, and there's this dynamic and that. And, and then somebody said, well, why don't we just make the default work from home? And then you have these drop-ins and maybe that's a less difficult problem to define and for people to comprehend and understand than, you know, you're going to have books this thick, like textbooks, <laughs> you know, trying to define all the rules and regulations if you're in 26 countries sort of thing. So, so I see you as a true visionary in this space. And I think one of the things that, that we're doing now is we're writing the book together as to what this looks like going forward. And what you just said, um, you know, could be a chapter in the book, which is, hey, what's easier here? You know, this or this. 
you know, and, and something I'd love to ask you um, is like, let's say everyone could go back to work all at the same time, just like we turned off. Let's say we could turn back on at the same time. I know you've been a champion of changing a lot of things about work anyway. Um, so how much would you say, how much would you want it to go back to the way it was before versus how much do you see this as an opportunity to truly, when we come out of this, we're better? I think I would not like it to go back to the way it was before. Um, I would say I'm about 50%, 50% of what it was. Um, I think one of the biggest benefits, apologies to my airline friends, is reduction of travel. Yeah. I think it's healthier for everyone. It's healthier for the planet. It's, you know, we've proven we can run meetings like this. Um, we've proven we can close deals this way. Um, so I think a, a world where we still have physical interaction, we will need it. Um, you know, we are social beings. You can't remove that entirely. But if you've got 10, if I have 10 leadership meetings a year, why don't I do five, you know, on teams and five in person yeah. uh, type of thing. So I think I don't see my travel expense as a company going back to, we are, we are budgeting 50% okay. travel expense for 2021. <clears throat> Fundamental shift in how people engage and, and in how people travel. Um, I think the, the issue around productivity, that myth has been blown up totally in the sense that oh, people can't be productive at home. Yeah. Um, my, we, our biggest concern as a software company when we went into this was that we, you know, we have very agile scrum type engineering methodologies that we were going to lose productivity in engineering because you can't put people in a room, they can't have the scrum meetings, they can't interact with each other, etc. So end of um, April, six weeks of lockdown, all our productivity metrics, we are 12% up in engineering. Wow. So we've seen a drop, yes, in the kind of the scrum team meeting type stuff, but then the productivity in individual developer code output has gone off, up way up and offset that. So net, net, we're 12% up, you know. So now, see, I, I would imagine that's quite common in other environments. And I can imagine like my CTO, lots of CTOs are saying, well, well I don't want to give up that productivity now. You know, how do I build that into my ongoing model? Um, you know, you and I got to meet each other at a lot of industry events. And we used to get 40% of our leads from industry events. Now we've learned how to get leads without industry events. Yeah. So I think vendor events will come back, but they'll now be within a digital framework and platform, not just the vendor event as the main event and some digital stuff happening. You know, we've redesigned everything around our community platform, and now we'll bring in some physical events to augment that. But I think industry events are really going to suffer. <clears throat> and because the vendors have figured out how now to do leads without the industry event. Right. Uh, so as a, so, uh, so that brings up two things. So as a CEO, you know, so people that don't know your history, you know, from Northgate to success factors to now CEO of unit four and, you know, advisor to a lot of companies also in between um, and Durbing, 
Uh, when you think about leadership, you know, from a CEO standpoint, or and let's you know, and, you know, we have more than of course CEOs that listen to this. Let's break it down a little bit more. What? How do leaders have to adapt? How do leaders have to adapt? So, or, or first of all, do they have to adapt? Which is the first question. But then second, let's say they do, which I believe they do. How do you believe that they have to adapt? And what are you like? What are you personally changing about how you work with your team? You know, in a more remote setting. Yeah. So I think um, I have a I have a couple perspectives on this. Um, absolutely, leaders had to adapt in this in this world. Um, and I think one of the the biggest things which I think distinguishes good or bad leaders in normal times as well, but I think becomes very much to the fore, you know, in this type of situation is empathy. Um, you know, you, it's you've got to lead now, um, and your genuine empathy has to be there. And in times like this, people can spot in a heartbeat if you're genuine or not. Can you do me a favor as a leader? I don't. I don't want to interrupt you, but everyone. Like that E word, you know, I, you know, it, it's, it, everyone's using it. So what does that mean to you? What does that mean to be like, what's an example of empathetic to you? So an example of empathetic is, you know, previously you'd get on a call or you'd start talking with people and you just get into the topic and talk. Um, today I would, we will have like you would when you have a normal conversation, we'll make conversation first. Right. How's your kids? What's happening? But it's but the trick is that can also come across really false if you're not genuine about it, you know. And so, so kind of the worst thing for me is you, you get a lot of marketing emails now. So the same list brokers who bombard me four times a day, do I want to buy some list? Well, now the email starts with, I hope you and your family are well, which is like, come on, that, you don't know my family. <laughs> What's the point of that? sort of thing, and that's kind of not genuine. So to me, it's about really connection, you know, really trying to have a personal and human connection with the people you're engaging with. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing, and this is something we have been, for, we said from day one when this happened, and we took our top 100 leaders, and then more recently, we're taking everyone who's managing people, <clears throat> and we're giving them a lot of coaching and bringing in a lot of external speakers to talk about this topic, we said the single, the single determinant of Unit 4's success through this entire process is going to be the ability of our leaders to play offense and defense simultaneously. Um, and, you know, your son likes American football, my son likes English football, you know, and I asked him one day, I said, well, we, we big Liverpool supporters. I said, so tell me a Liverpool player who plays offense and defense really well. And he, he really struggled to come up with one. And eventually we decided it was Milner. But it's very hard to do. Most leaders can play defense. They can go take cost out and they know how to do it and build the spreadsheet. Other leaders know how to pile on the growth and, and develop growth. But we actually need our leaders to be split personality in times like this. We need them to be focused on the goal, focused on getting the goal. We haven't reduced targets or changed our scenarios. We're going to go get it. We know there's gaps, but we're going to go get it. And at the same time, we've turned around and said, oh, but we can also be a you know, play offense and we're going to 
take all this cost out. <clears throat> and, and then you need a rallying a way to rally everyone around that. So our rallying approach was the whole thing of we're not going to do layoffs in the business. Now to do that, given we were originally a Dutch company, we said, we're going to build dikes and we all need to come up with the dikes we're going to build. The last dike is layoffs. So what are the 20 dikes we can build, which hopefully will ensure the water doesn't get to the last one. Yeah. And, you know, and that got everyone rallying and saying, right, we're going to stop the salary review this year. No salary increases, you know, there are things which people previously would say, well, we can't take that away. We can't do it where it's just now it's a dike. It's been put into the pot. Um, <clears throat> and that isn't, and then we've said to people, and this is the other challenge from a leadership. I've seen a lot of companies get bogged down in scenario planning. Will it be a tidal wave? Will it be a little wave? Will it be a hurricane? Will it be a tsunami? We say to all of our leaders from day one, no one's doing scenario planning. The target's the target. The budget's the budget. My CFO and I have done some scenario planning with our investors. <clears throat> but build the dikes. Focus on getting to the target. If you hit the target, you know, we've got all these dikes which we've implemented. We're not going to wait to see what size the wave is. We're implementing them. We'll actually overachieve. If we miss the target, we've got these dikes to protect us. But don't waste a minute of your time debating how big the wave is. Yeah. Because you, we don't know. And so that approach has actually worked incredibly well in terms of rallying everyone around a common focus, um, getting people out of the mindset of, well, that's my sacred car, you can't take that away. And getting people to stay focused on, we had a number and a budget and why can't we do it this year? Yeah, no, you know, I love that. And Mike, one of the things that listening to you talk, it reminds me of is you're a brilliant leader and you've always, well, and you focus on, <laughs> you're in the technology space, but you're, you're, I don't know how to say this the right way. You're more of a leader than a technologist per se, yet you're a brilliant technologist as well. So when you think about that, I'd love to hear your thoughts as to, okay, we need to show more empathy. You know, we need to ask these questions where, you know, what I mean, I'll never forget a conversation that you and I had up, uh, you know, in uh, Santa Clara one day where we were talking about machines and people and how we think about machines and people working together. Like what, what are you building into your products or what do you think needs to be built into solutions today to actually help leaders? I'm not yeah. going to say help them be more empathetic, but to support that cause. Because I think it's, a, a, you know, it, we're not talking about goals and objectives only, these hardline goals and objectives. We're not talking about this, the science of making sure payroll's right to the penny, even though all that stuff's important. But what can I do to, to build into technology to give leaders support to yeah. be more empathetic if they're not out of the box? Yeah, I think, you know, we, we run our own engagement tool um which we we sell for customers it's the one we're giving away free to our customers now and that to me has been a really important tool because it prompts me it gives me you know you haven't pulsed for a few days one of the things we've seen since the crisis has happened because we can monitor the activity in the tool in in unit four is that the traffic the requests for feedback 
have just gone up dramatically. Wow, okay. So leaders through this crisis are more frequently asking their people, hey, how am I doing? What do you, what do you think? Am I doing okay? You know, and even I was doing that a lot still saying, hey, it's three weeks into lockdown. Am I doing the right stuff? What else could I be doing? What could I, what could I stop doing? Um, because often how our actions as leaders translate into act task lists for our people, we don't quite grasp. You know, you've got to ask all the time. Am I filling your task list every time I open my mouth sort of thing? So we've seen that go up enormously. I think the other thing which um, is really important for leaders and technology, uh, I think what, what, what's great and scary about this type of environment is there's no textbook. There's never, ever been a textbook. And so I've been, one of the things which has been really valuable for me, and I'd encourage all leaders to do this, is find your peer group, find your tribe. You know, I've been, uh, I picked two tech CEO forums, um, one run by an investment bank, one run more mid-market CEOs. And I've been on those every week, you know, for, since it started. So this is an investment that you wouldn't normally have made, but because no. we're writing the book together and there is no book, you... There is no book. So, and there's, you know, 70 other CEOs in the exact same boat who've never lived through this before of, you know, highly respectable companies in the tech industry. And, and everyone is sharing, you know, everyone wants to help each other write the book. And I think that, you know, I've always been a great believer in my career around mentorship. And it's been one of the ways I've always developed people in my teams is to give them mentors and get them good mentors. I think the peer to peer mentoring is something which I think will, you know, I'd like to continue doing those, maybe not once a week, but maybe once every two weeks or yeah. four weeks in the future. Because I think that peer to peer mentorship is going to become a really positive norm out of this situation as well. Yeah, no, I agree. Those are great, great tips. And I think that, I mean, I think that the concept of how do people use technology and how do we give tools, how do we give people the tools to support the people? You know, and as, I, as I'm looking at you on video here, I see people first over your shoulder. <laughs> you, know, you know, how do we make sure that we, that we think about people first? And you know, because that's one of the unit four values, you know, I would love to, A, hear how you design for people first. Like, what's the clue or what's the, yeah, in the magic sauce to design for people first? And then B, you know, as you're starting to see people ask for feedback like this, managers and leaders, does that change your roadmap as a technology provider? Um, yeah. like, are you seeing this having to pivot your roadmap because, like, hey, what, what people are going to need now is going to be different than what they needed oddly enough, eight weeks ago. Yeah. So I'll answer both. On the first one, how do you, how do you really embody a people first um, mentality? I think the most important ingredient to do that is trust. Trust in that your people will do the right thing. Now, I remember when I joined Unit 4, <clears throat> one of the first initiatives I implemented was to abolish leave the concept of annual leave and to say to people, we trust you to get the job done, take what you need kind of leave. And we, we were one of the first companies to do this properly in Europe because Europe, you got statutory leave and all that stays there. 
But the way that we found the model to do it, which simply said, we, we're lifting the cap. So you have your statutory leave. We're not taking that away, but there's no cap. You can, you know, if you need, if you have statutory of 20 days in Sweden and you need 30, take 30, as long as you're getting the job done. And it was interesting, the initial debates, you know, everyone goes to, oh, you can't trust the people, you can't do that. And, you know, we were adamant, we want to put this in place. So I think to, to build all these things, work from home, you know, get, just get the job done. Um, I think trust is critical. You've got to have fundamental trust in the good side of the human being, people to get stuff done. Roadmaps is really interesting. Four weeks ago, um, I said to my head of product on my team, you need to tear up all the roadmaps and you need to sit with the product team now and relook at all of our roadmaps um, because the roadmaps we were on previously are going to be totally disrupted by the way the now of work. So for example, six weeks ago, my landing page or window most open on my Apple Mac was Outlook mail. Today, my landing page is Teams, Microsoft Teams. Um, it's totally changed. So, you know, I can at Unit 4 go into T- on my Teams bar. I have Unit 4 Wonder, which is our chatbot, and I can do different ERP transactions right from Teams. That needs to expand because the days of anyone going to log in to an ERP or even a core HR system, I believe are dying. And I believe this, the COVID situation is going to accelerate the pace of that death. People are going to want to be prompted. You know, I'm sitting on this chat with you and something comes up to say, you need to approve these invoices. And then I will just click on it and it'll take me to the place to approve it. Right. Or even talk to it. So I think that whole conversational world, which has been developing, and around, and HR has been experimenting with it, um, ERP to a lesser extent, I think it accelerates. I mean, we've been on this path. We launched Wonder three years ago, our chatbot. Um, we've got integration with m- most of the applications, you know, be it Slack or Zoom or Teams or whatever. And we are fundamentally on this path that says, I am not going to be a landing page. Unit 4 will not be a landing page. We will have menuless software. No one's going to log into our software in five years time. They're going to come through different, you know, these different tools. And I don't want to compete with Google and Microsoft for a landing page position, you know, but I do want to run the best people-based ERP. So how, so how software is engaged with is going to, I think is going to be fundamentally different and this will accelerate it even more. So I think that, so it's interesting. Uh, I love the conversation. Um, wow, I could have this conversation all the time. I, I will be cognizant of time. But the, so you don't want their eyeballs. You basically want to be their brains in a way, but you don't want their eyeballs on the unit for apps necessarily. I want their transactions. Right. I want the, you know, the output of yeah. what the eyeballs are doing. But, you know, and the, the eyeballs, data, right? Then you want yeah. the data to be able to... And the data. Yeah. But that can be channeled to me through multiple different sources. You know, like, oh, it's so fascinating. And you can tell I'm salivating over this because I've been saying this for a while. Yet people look at me like I'm, uh, whatever, smoking something or drinking something. 
you know, when I say you're not going to go into your core HR application and, and employees and managers aren't going to use employee and manager yeah. modules called self-service and things like that. Yeah, people look at me like, I don't believe that's the case. I mean, are you seeing that? I mean, with Wonder, for example, are you seeing evidence that, you know, people are actually deploying that and saying, hey, you know what? Our people don't want to go into those tools. Yeah. I, you know, I, it's interesting you say, because, you know, we, I think we touched on this topic in my, in my past life. And I think, I think the, the biggest sort of false paradise is big HCM vendors thinking they can own the landing page. Yeah. Um, and even in my past life, you started seeing that being disrupted, yeah. you know, by, you know, the likes of ServiceNow and Microsoft and, and the others. Um, <clears throat> I think it's absolutely the case because, you know, what, what, what the, is the interesting contradiction for me is that the HR systems have all the role-based permissioning in them. People want to just get prompted for the work based on their role and what they're doing. So actually, the HR system or an ERP HR system like ours has all the, the brains and the knowledge to say, this person's got to approve this, therefore just prompt, you know, Joe blogs to do this right. and send the prompt on teams. So the HR system, that's the power of the, when you have the core HR data, the master data, and when you've, and, and if you're lucky to have finance data integrated with it like us, you know, you can do some really interesting things. The power is not the fact that they land on your beautiful page, which is designed in whatever the, your UI is called, you know, some Italian name, and you know, <laughs> it's the best UI on the planet, and therefore, you know, that's not the that's not the 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 advantage in the right. marketplace. Yeah, yeah. No, I mean it's great. I, I I am a firm believer in it. I like I said, people still still look at me funny when I say it. Uh, I'm a firm believer that that's still the direction it goes, and I think you're right. I think this will because now. I mean, I haven't actually heard anyone say what you just said. That Outlook used to be where I spent my time. Now it's deep. I think that's a brilliant way to think about it. And because of that, you know, that's going to change where people do their uh, interaction, quote unquote, with these uh, with these tools. Um, so two final things. First of all, how do people get a hold of you? Um, you know, is it LinkedIn? Is it Twitter? Is it Instagram? Is it TikTok? Like, what, yeah. what's the best way to find the Mike Ethelman of the world? Uh, I'm LinkedIn and Twitter, okay. probably showing my age now. Um, no TikTok. So, no TikTok yet. LinkedIn, okay. Twitter, and Mike.Ethling at unitball.com. Okay, awesome. And then I like to end with this thing that I call one more thing, which is I mean, you're one of the more positive people um, that I've met in the space. And it seems like no matter what happens, you stay positive. Um, and I try to give people advice, you know, or hear advice from other leaders as to what do they do in the morning? What do you do in the morning to get you out of bed each day to say, hey, this is going to be a great day and I'm positive about what I'm doing. So, so I'd love if you have a tip around that and, you know, tied to that tip. The other thing I would just ask is, you know, are you more optimistic about our future post-COVID? Are you, you know, more pessimistic or are you kind of neutral? So I think it's fascinating to get people's lenses on that. Yeah. So, um, well, firstly, I appreciate you um, seeing me in that light. Um, I, I'm always optimistic about where things can go. I, you know, I think 
there, as much as this, you can get into the trauma of what this was about. And yes, you know, it is very traumatic, the amount of, of sort of mortality we've had with it. Um, but you can always focus your attention. You can choose to focus your attention on the positive things. You know, look at what's happened to the environment. Look at how our families have got back together again. Look at different connections which have been made. And I think, you know, there's one sort of thing which I, I always carry as a mantra, and that is that nothing in life has meaning till you give it meaning. So, you know, you could sit there and say X, Y, Z, and it actually is meaningless till I give it meaning and, and say, well, that, that offends me, Jason, or that, that's a nice compliment. Um, it's not what you said. It's the meaning I've given to it. <clears throat> and to me, that's that with having, you know, I've always said everything about leadership is setting a purpose and creating a purpose. So if you have a great purpose for what you do, whether it be private or business, that gets you up in the morning because you want to follow that purpose. It's when purpose is depleted that you don't get up in the morning. And then if you just apply the mantra of that, you know, the guy who cut me off on the traffic yesterday, well, he just cut me off. If I, I can give it the meaning I choose to give it. Right. And if you apply that, then you can stay pretty optimistic. No, that's an awesome. Like, this is why I love doing this. I love doing. I, I swear, I love. I love this doing it so much. It's because you, you pick up so many tips. And if, if one person, if these listeners just take one tip, took every one of these tips, they'd be so much better off. So I love the fact that you share that. Thank you so much for sharing. It's been great. Hey, yeah, this was a ton of fun. Thank you for your time, and uh, look forward to catching up with you again soon. Likewise. Thanks. Take Mike. care. Stay safe. Be safe. Thanks. Take care. Alrighty. Take care.